This is Broadcast, Talking TV, recorded at Maple Street Studios. Hello, I'm Jake Cantor and welcome to the show. Coming down the Talking TV slipway this week, ITV's production empire swells again with the £55 million edition of 2-4 Group. Plus, we'll reflect on Broadcast's interview with BBC DG Tony Hall last week and talk TFI Friday. Later in the show, we'll review the reincarnation of Don't Tell the Bride on BBC One and BBC Two's latest access documentary, The Bank, A Matter of Life and Debt. Don't go anywhere. So, in the clement embrace of Maple Street Studios this week is Curve Media co-founder Camilla Lewis and Stephen D. Wright, uh, broadcast columnist and entertainment producer par excellence. Thank you. You guys all right? We're, 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 we're coping, we're coping. We're looking forward to this, Jake. The mics are up now and you've stopped talking. Yeah, well, no wonder. <laughs> well, terrified. most of what we say was quite indiscreet and, of course, yeah. you know our souls of discretion, Stephen and I. Were you keeping up with the Broadcast Digital Awards this week? Uh, obviously. Obviously. Yeah. No, I was, all I was doing Channel was being four. very envious of the people on Facebook going, I'm on my way to the Broadcast Awards. Daniela. Do well, you not was, get an invite? We should invite you. I was, uh, that's all, that was the first thing I thought. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought went, exactly no the same. No invite? Thank this is the first much. year I've not been invited, Jake. What's going on? Is yeah. it because I'm doing this? Is this more prestigious than going oh, to the digital awards? Oh, obviously, yeah. Mm. Uh, well, I think you just you, dissed your you, digital awards. You didn't judge, though, did you? This year I wasn't asked. I don't like to mention it. <laughs> <laughs> but E41 Channel of the Year? Yeah, we're all, everyone's talking about it on the street. Okay, maybe we should move on. <laughs> Amongst the homeless community, <laughs> all they talk um, about. So first we're going to head over to South Bank, which... I don't know, might bring back memories, Camilla. Bad memories, bad very memories. bad memories. Can you, can you tell us about them? Yeah, getting trapped in a lift for half an hour at ITV with it falling on me after having met Peter Fincham. I think he pressed the Dr. Evil button on his uh, keyboard. <laughs> didn't like what I had to say, so trapped me in the lift. God knows, I'm pleased the piranhas it didn't open and a pool of piranhas wasn't waiting for me. But anyway. Well, we're glad you're safe. You're in Thank the wrong you. lift. You're here with us. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, uh, it's continuing its tilt, ITV, at uh, world domination. Uh, the broadcaster has completed its biggest UK indie acquisition to date, uh, snapping up 2-4 Group for an initial £55 million fee. The deal reunites 2-4 Chief Creative Officer Andy McKenzie with his old Channel 4 chums Kevin Ligo and Julian Bellamy and will bolster ITV's bottom line by another £91 million. Do we think this is a good fit? I think the shareholders will be very happy <laughs> in the short term. Let's see what happens in three years. It's a really changing of landscape. I mean, I think it's an amazingly interesting move by ITV. I mean, how what, how do the independent market, like people like me, feel about pitching when they know they've got in-house 2-4? Mm. You know, we've got a property show, they've got a property show, I wonder which one they'll go with. I mean, one would like to think the best ideas will rise to the top, which has always, you know, hopefully been the case historically across broadcasting. I think it's a really, really, really good move. I think they're in a very good place, uh, the 2-4 group. Um, they've got, I think, five, six, how many different, six companies underneath the umbrella? A lot, yeah. A I, lot. I, I, don't I mean, know I got a bit confused, many. but I mean, loads of uh, unscripted and scripted. And Oxford it, Scientific. Yeah, and uh, some great Indus companies. Films, Indus yeah. and, you know, and, and I, I think, you know, creatively, it's, it's quite an interesting time. As a fit, I think it won't make much difference to the day-to-day of 2-4. I'm sure it wouldn't make a huge difference. It's really in three years' time when the earnouts go, what happens? Stephen? You're, hmm. You seem pensive. I am pensive. Um... I can't really work out if this is good news or bad. I mean, it's obviously good news if you've got shares in 2-4. They're going to get lots of money. Um, but I don't really know if it's going to uh, affect ITV's quality as a, from, as a, from a viewer's perspective. I don't think it makes any difference whatsoever. Um, but I also have got a slight now growing unease about all the buying up of companies. Yeah, I agree. It's got a, it doesn't ITV suggest... ITV specifically or just I, generally? I think generally. I think generally. But ITV are moving so aggressively in this kind of market. They're buying everybody. Uh, except me, 
an un for sale, just in case oh, we are listening. How much are you? Oh, piss Can I buy you? Of course. <laughs> not £55 million. Pounds. Not, a little bit less. But they're more than 55 <laughs> I mean, Actually, what's interesting is it's a real, you know, the earn out that they have to do. I mean, to achieve their maximum target, they'd have to increase their profit from something like, I think, £5 million pounds profit, which is really good, obviously. Up to, I can't remember, is it 25 or £30 million? I mean, a huge amount. I mean, obviously, that's not very likely to happen in, in, in that sense, but it's a very incentivizing time for them but I mean I worry about you know I mean it's great for the market because it shows you how robust the, the UK market is and, and, and the ideas are right at the top it shows you that creativity this is the good news for us Stephen is that creativity is still yeah, know, but I valued think, I think it comes down to selling it's because TV is all about say, selling ideas to networks if ITV which is a network has, a, has, has its own little production community then they will stop buying from the indies. That's what, you, you know, why would you buy from somebody else when you But own... why would you buy from 2.4 if you're the BBC or Channel 4? I mean, why, I mean, in, arguably, in a way, it's interesting well, business-wise. I mean, yeah, I mean, that, I I'm not so, so worried about the BBC, but it's just generally, as an indie, I yeah. think it, this is from an indie's perspective, this is a little bit worrying. Yeah, there I is, think you know, I think Peter Fincham was at pains to point out at the producers' well, forum they're last obvious, week. The thing is, they're, 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 they're best gonna, ideas from the best places. They're obviously <laughs> going to say that. However, I, I did, I was, I was, a few Ago, I was in, involved in internal ITV meetings, and they do buy from internal ITV rather than external ITV. But why wouldn't you? If you've got companies in Yorkshire it and Newcastle or whatever who exist by your by the bread from the breadcrumbs of the commissioning table, they'd be the ones you've got to keep going because they have to share the same name, etc., etc. You know, it isn't a level playing field, and we all know that. They say it is, but it isn't. Okay, we'll stick with ITV briefly uh, and production, indeed, as the commercial broadcaster this week made a thinly veiled legal threat uh, over the BBC's plans to commercialise its in-house production division. Uh, lawyers acting for ITV have written to the BBC Trust, pointing out that the plans are open to complaint under the corporation's fair trading guidelines and competition law. Do, do same, we share ITV's concerns? Again, yeah. well, it, it is the same. It's you know, quite interesting. It's, yeah. like parallel arguments, it's now ITV pl- claiming it against the BBC. But I think the thing is, it's how the BBC does it. I mean, the problem is, is the licence fee, rather like with BBC Three, the licence fee pays for a channel to be launched. Launches, I don't know, is it a billion pounds? I don't know, it's a lot of money for BBC Three to exist. And then That's goes, how much it's spent. In terms of its programming a- over, over its lifespan. Absolutely. So, so you think, you know, if I was, in, I, I am a licence fee payer, you'd think, God, you, you haven't got the right to do this big move of taking this channel off that discussing with me equally how dare you sell off BBC Studios without open and transparent discussion now the the problem is is the amount of investment in the BBC Labour you know it's been an interesting week from a personal creative point of view Um, the power of the words BBC is quite extraordinary I was in talks with a big retail organisation about access and had gone a long way and we just got to the final yes you can have access to a very famous retail organisation and they called us and said well we're really sorry but BBC in-house want to do it for BBC Two so bye bye basically and that shows you in a way that tiny example I'm not chippy because that you know things like this happen all the time but the point about that is that shows you the power of the word words BBC is quite extraordinary. So from a commercial sense, I feel like I want to know how it's being handled, the handing over students, and good luck to them is all I can say. I think ITV, you know, I can understand why they've shot a, you know, shot across the bows. But actually what's more interesting to me is when I left the BBC, I went to talk back and it took me, um, I don't know, two or three years to really get sharply commercial. And, and, I, and I was pretty attuned to the commercial world prior to leaving the BBC. Um, I know lots of people in-house who are incredibly talented and there's lots of people in-house who would not exist in independent production sector who just don't have jobs for them because creatives are what there are or programme makers or ideally creative programme makers. So sweeping um, away the, the guarantees is not enough. Well, to, to calm your concerns, it, it, I'm worried about the. I, I'm I'm worried for them about this sort of this ingenue approach. Or we're just going to go commercial. I mean, it's it, the handling of this 
is is probably I would say it would have to happen over a, a, quite a few years, and it would have to be done in a way whereby there's some sort of recompense, some sort of understanding within the independent production community. Um, I, I can't see how they can make this work very easily and quickly. Is all I'd say. And I think ITV's shot is an interesting one. I think there's bigger concerns about the actual practicalities of doing it. They better get a bloody good figurehead and someone who we're, knows what they're we're doing. We're in a bit of a sort of information fact-free vacuum at the moment because mm, yes. uh, the BBC announced these plans last year and has been working them up very in a very detailed way, I'd imagine, but not made any of that mm. public. Well, they're so, about to hire someone, yeah. aren't they? They're about to hire. It's, it's down to, I believe, um, a final two. Is it? Um, we have to tell me afterwards who they we'll are. We'll discuss who they are. I mean, I think one of them's a really... I, mean, I don't know who the other one is. I know one name and I think that... Well, we know Lorraine is in the frame. She'd be uh, great. Yeah. So Lorraine Hegacy, let me just 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 yes. to stress to our As listeners. As opposed to who? Yeah. Lorraine <laughs> Kelly. I thought Lorraine yeah. Kelly would be a good choice. What do you think, Stephen? Yeah, yeah. Lorraine Kelly running BBC Studios. I think that would be a maverick move. That would be ITV would make would, would their their ITV's concern would would make sense. <laughs> yeah, that would be the legal shot across yeah. the bells. I like it. Um, we'll move on, shall we? Um, Tony Hall gave his first uh, interview since the election to broadcast last week. Uh, the BBC Director General warned the government not to screw around with the UK's PSB system. Is that actually what he said. He did. Screw around. Not screw around. Yeah, he did say he used wow. the word screw God, I around. I love Look. it when it gets all postery and cops on the table. Well, like, oh, I love that though. I know. <laughs> screw around. Um, <laughs> he also backed the licence through for another 10 years, refused to guarantee the safety of any BBC content or services and committed his future to the corporation for at least three years. Look, was, he, was he high when he was giving this? <laughs> Was he like drunk? I was sat in the room with him. He was, the, he was on like good form. beating the table. Was he punching the table? I, I think it's good in a way because actually, you know what? And the last time I feel I've heard a director, maybe this is unfair to previous director generals, it was Greg Dyke, who actually, in his own, I mean, Greg Dyke was inimitable. He was amazing director general. Um, but what he did, in my opinion, was that he had an opinion and he actually said it and he had a vision. And mm. whether you agreed with it or not, you knew what it was. We loved it was less political. I, I loved him too. And, 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 I, and I feel like at least Tony Hall, you know, it's a bit, the language is amusingly male. Um, and unsurprising um, but but actually what I like is I like a man of conviction who sounds like he's got the right he's playing a good game with Whittingdale of sort of saying yeah he'd never make a decision that I wouldn't that he wouldn't he wouldn't run past me and it wouldn't have been approved of is the subtext of what I'm reading and good for him go out there be bull- ballsy be bullshit because we need the BBC to be protected there's nothing that is this, all of us want is this more. called willy waving is that the technical term it is term? willy waving it's definitely willy waving willy waving by the DG of the BBC but well, and, and the culture secretary <laughs> exactly well we have the culture secretary hasn't really given us a uh, we haven't really heard the Woody no. waving bit yet we're waiting so we look <laughs> forward to it he did give an interview to the Telegraph at the weekend oh I didn't read that yeah there was it, it was quite muted I would say in the language no no, no loaded terms like screw around but he might react to this in a, in, a, in a more I mean it'd be interesting to see how he reacts to Woody waving and whether he's got the same sort of like <laughs> well who, no, who's his bigger let's find out hopefully the BBC <laughs> will win is all I can say wow talking TV has never never plumbed these depths before <laughs> this is what you get when you start talking about male language you know? <laughs> um, big boys do we? I mean, do we, uh, part of his whole mission has to be positive and and front foot. Do we think he's achieving that on a day to day basis at the BBC? Ish. I mean, is it is it know, sharper? Is it more confident? He's in a very difficult position. It, you know, Greg Dyke was a great great character who all the the indie the program community loved. Uh, Tony Hall is a bit more of a politician, and he's playing a politician's game as opposed to a sort of artistic creative one. So we're not really saying, "Oh, great, we believe in you as an artistic visionary" or whatever. He's keeping the kind of programme-making community sort of happy, but he's actually talking to the government. That's what this is about. This is a government versus me. It's arm wrestling. It's I won't give in. 
I'll fight my corner, which is what what he has to say, really. Yeah, we want him to be doing that. I mean, honestly, you know, I think he's doing the right. I mean, I think that we're sort of sitting back and seeing. I mean, I, I suppose the problem is is watching from a outside perspective with great love for the BBC. I was ten years there, and I'm completely passionate about what the BBC believes in. And you know, I often think if you cut me through, you'd see the BBC values sitting there because I, you can't get rid of them when they're in you. But but ultimately, you know. I, I, my worry is, is kind of don't make big rash decisions, BBC Three, BBC Studios, without really thinking, because it's great to have this ballsy approach, but actually it's not a one-man mission. Nobody owns the BBC. You know, it's, it's a real stark realisation you get when you're in there and when you leave. The, the BBC is a, is a collective responsibility. And as you know, he rightly says, everyone loves auntie. You know, loving the loving of the BBC is, is true, but actually you don't possess it and it's not a one-man mission. So it's interesting. I mean, Greg played the one-man mission thing, but he's sort of got it right. Mm. I mean, see how far he takes this one-man mission. I mean, if he yeah. succeeds, good luck to him. And he and says I'm there's delighted. a lot of love for the BBC, but it can be infuriating. That's mm. what well, saying. that's it. That is a BBC. That's the BBC in a nutshell. I think that's yeah. that summed Absolutely. up quite well. Okay, finally, our commission of the fortnight, uh, which this time goes to TFI Friday. Hey. Stephen's got <laughs> yeah. nothing to say about it. He absolutely loves it, don't you, Stephen? Yeah, I'm, I'm currently pouting a little bit. I have a sort of... Um... OK, so here's the fact. The comeback special pulled in more than 4 million viewers and Channel 4 has commissioned Chris Evans and his gang to make eight more episodes. Yeah. Worst commission decision ever. OK, well, Stephen, anyone has to get onto Stephen... I Are would, you alone in this? friend... No, no, no friend I'm, Stephen I'm, on I'm, Facebook is what I'd say. You'd get his full view on I'm TFI. I'm one of the few people who's openly canvassed against this because I am for some reason not gripped by nostalgia for 1990 uh, laddish culture and certainly not Chris Evans doing his shtick which I didn't like then and I hate it even more now Um, I think this shows a real lack of creative spirit from Channel 4 Um, self-indulgent beyond belief the actual special itself which I watched hoping it was going to be good fun was dreadful. I mean, a 20-minute overrun and a nothing show. I mean, just lots and lots of, oh, aren't we great, aren't we great, aren't we great, and guess what, I'm a millionaire too, wasn't fun for me. And to me, it it feels like Channel 4 now going, yeah, we're going to do this, coupled with the news that he's now the Top Gear presenter, makes Channel 4 look very retro, very retrograde. It's not a forward-looking step. It's not a risk-taking step. It's a middle-aged, self-indulgent, aren't we great? Hey, why don't we put this track on and remember when we were cool? That's what it feels like. Powerful. Because everyone's got kind of swept up in it, haven't they? Swept up in it. It was a marketing or PR hype. You know, they they plugged the hell out of it. And so it got got an okay rating. It's hardly a huge success. It's pretty decent by Channel 4 standards these days, though, isn't it? Four million is a standout hit. This is the thing. I still think about Channel 4... As a as a standard, this wasn't a high end show. It wasn't. It was a cynical commission. It's a cynical commissioning decision. Jake, on to the do demographic is what I'm most interested in because I think the one word you said then, which is the thing which would interest me the most about where the TFI goes in the future, is is the words middle aged. Because actually, I wonder who watched it. Because if it was that hit from the past and nostalgic, that's you know, there's there's a place for nostalgic television. There always has been, and, and that's that's interesting. Whether it was well made, whether Chris Evans is good is not. Is what's more interesting is strategically, who are they going for? Because I wonder who's going to be watching that show. Is it going to do what it did? Because when TFI was originally on, it was appealing to you know cool younger people theoretically it was you know and so so now what what's its demographic what's it trying to bring back to the audience i mean i I suspect it's trying to bring back ratings and if i was jay i'd have probably commissioned eight more of them based on those ratings bearing in mind you know how hard it is for them to have had entertainment hits i mean what the jump name others i I mean really hard if i was jay and thinking about tfi bring back a different presenter didn't bring back a a newer more up-to-date kind of content that might happen though 
Oh, well, I suspect well. there's a move towards Nick Grimshaw. And what they'll do is they'll have Chris, and this is my gut feeling on it, Chris and Nick on the show. It'll start off as a sort of bit of a double-hander and it will slowly face towards... Practically speaking, Top Gear is all-consuming. I was so going to say, I, mean, I don't think it's going to have the time. And a radio TV show. I, mean, I think that something's, something's going to give. And the thing that will give will be TFI because Top Gear is, is you know, it's got more weight. It's got miles more weight in the market. I mean, from the BBC's perspective, this is a disaster. You know, they've got Top Gear. They've finally got the, the ghost of Clarkson put to rest. Chris Evans, great. We survived. Everything's so, and then two days later, guess what? He's doing TFI. Oh, I think they're not bothered. I think they. I think they think. I mean, they wanted from day one. Chris Evans was the first name that was being talked about by everybody because everybody thought it, it tonally what they wanted to do was replace that boys going back to our, our male language. You know, because what what for me and everyone's I love to analyse Top Gear, but here's my theory on it: is I think it allows boy it allows you to watch boys and lads vicariously. You can sort of watch it. It gives you a, a sort of license to allow laddish behaviour. And girls like watching laddish behaviour, and boys like watching laddish behaviour. So it's a really smart method that's that's grown out of Clarkson etc etc putting Chris Evans on kind of makes sense I don't think they're bothered about TFI well, I don't it's, know I think cheapens, it's an international global brand the, the, you know, the t- well I don't know it, it takes the, the glory away dilutes it a little. it dilutes well let's it. wait and see I suspect <laughs> Nick Grimshaw will be doing it within I mean within the thing weeks. is it also but the, the problem with that timing of the Top Gear then TFI announcement it makes Channel 4 look like a follower not a leader mm. Channel 4 is not a follower Channel 4 is a risk-taking channel. Born risky, I believe, is the phrase they use. Not born safe, which is what this is. Okay. And do we think that uh, Chris is a good choice? No. For, <laughs> for, 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 for Top what? Gear, I, I Top I should, Gear, I yes. Should, TFI, I no. I think Top Gear, yes. I, think to, I, th- I thought he was the right choice. I mean, if you're, what you're trying to do is keep that laddie kind of deal, it's whether he can do it. Because what he did, I mean, he was humbled, wasn't he, by, by having been off... You know, he went out of favour having been the, you know, the unpopular boy at school who became very popular. The monster. Let's see if Let's he can not be the monster and if he doesn't grow back into it. You know, he's had kids now, maybe he's balanced, maybe, I don't know, maybe he's It all not. came about in a slightly weird way. Mm. Apparently he got a text from yeah. someone at the BBC I don't believe after Jeremy one, Clarkson had a I don't a believe one word of it. Not one Sounds like Jeremy word. Clarkson what, you don't, you don't believe Jeremy Clarkson No, I don't believe one word of the whole, oh, we, we hired you two seconds before the whatever... All bollocks. They've never. They should. They, you know. They, nobody books somebody five minutes before the show go, goes on. Do you know what I mean? They just don't. This is t- all lies and and subterfuge for no reason whatsoever. For press. For press. You know. Well, and, because and of listen, and we're talking about you. it here. You're we're loving it. it. <laughs> yeah. For you, Jake. Do. It was all this done for you. Salacious. But I would just like Page to say, fodder. good luck, Chris. Good luck with TFI. Please read Hope Stephen's you don't become Facebook. the monster become we know you are. Become Stephen's friend on Facebook. Become Stephen's friend on Facebook because he is hilarious about TFI and Chris. It's okay. definitely worth it. On that note, I should we'll, point out we'll, I did used to work with Chris Evans. Did you? Yes. Same back. time as I did. Exactly. I think you'll find. That's where it comes yes. from. Okay. What personal just... experience? <laughs> so there's a personal vendetta. Is that no? Is not, that... No, not not vendetta. I know what he's like. All right. As does everybody who works with him as does everybody who will be coming to work with him. Good luck, Top Gear fans. Good luck, Top Gear crew. <laughs> a man with conviction. Oh, yeah. maybe, we should, uh, maybe we should draw a line under this before oh, we yeah. get hit by a libel case. Uh, those are your headlines for this week. Thanks to Stephen and Camilla. Welcome back, and it's on to some reviews. Uh, we'll start in familiar territory, as Don't Tell the Bride returned this week in its new home on BBC One. Uh, Renegade's format sticks to the tried and tested formula of its BBC Three days, but will mull over some of the tweaks that have been made for its new audience. First, though, a clip. Here, Andrew and his best man have just bought the bridesmaids' dresses, but there's a problem. We're not happy. Right, go on then. Why? Questions? A million reasons. Go on, what? 
They're not dressy. What do you mean? There's they're no dresses. bling. We don't feel comfortable. They're so clingy. You can like see every line, nickel lines, label line. It's yeah. just ugh. I feel like a slug. Slug? <laughs> Slugs ain't that colour. <laughs> I think they look alright. I think that the guests at the wedding would wear something more dressy. Are you trying to upstage but, Jen on a day? No! Oh, well, there you go. What's wrong with them? <laughs> There's nothing wrong with them. They're nice. We took time to pick them. So what if we stand here and refuse to wear these? This is your you choice, don't give isn't a... it? Well, Jen, don't get bridesmaids in. Will she? Yeah. She'll be day. upset. It will spoil her day, won't it? Don't look bad. Did you ask any advice in the shop? Yeah. No. Yes, we did. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's probably the best bit from the whole episode, that. Possibly, yeah. Yeah. What do we think? I think that, just contextually speaking, it's a really good argument for why BBC Three should exist, A, because if it grows formats, which it always has done, I made Little Angels a million years ago, which went from BBC Three to BBC One, but what's interesting is you do need to change the show when it moves on to a main channel, because you've got to have a bigger reach. And I think the biggest note, I'd, if I was making that programme, I, mean, I love... Um, the Don't Tell the Bride format. I mean, I, I'm jealous of every format that rates for that long. It's been on forever. Series 1 did not rate on BBC Three, and it took a long time to bed into that channel. Um, I think it can take time to bed in. I think actually getting into the, getting a, a bridal show, a wedding show that lets you look at family is is interesting. Where I think they've missed potentially a trip, which hopefully they'll develop, is more family interaction stuff. Because mm. actually BBC One is mainstream and it's about family. And whatever family means, it's not one strict sort of nuclear thought. But programme making wise, I think it's a, a really interesting move by Charlotte. I think I think it's a good move. I think it's a sensible thing to do. I think it makes me feel very sad about BBC Three, and and I can't stop. I mean, I'm afraid you're always going to hear that. And every time mm. we talk about the BBC, just a real sadness that we can't launch formats like that anymore on Three. I felt quite uncomfortable watching it because it didn't feel to me pure BBC One or pure BBC One Heartland, and. It's, it was an odd thing because to me on BBC Three it can be as trashy and as hard hitting as it likes, but to be it felt a bit cruel on BBC One. I spent the three quarters of the show watching it grimacing at how ridiculous this groom was being and how cruel he was being to the bride, the poor bride. And I was just thinking, how are they ever going to be able to pull this back? You know, it felt like watching Long Lost Family in reverse. You know what I mean? I was it was getting worse, not better. And I was like, and so when they did have the sort of the revelation at the end or whatever, I, I didn't come away thinking, oh, great, true love conquers all or whatever. And it, it felt, I, I thought, I think maybe there's something wrong with me, but I didn't enjoy that sort of narrative arc or whatever. You know, you know the car crash element is great, but it felt a bit too Channel 5 for me rather than, say, BBC One. If it had been a bit warmer, and I think, yes, absolutely, if they'd brought more of the family in, it was good when they had that, but it just felt so stacked in against the girls. the show that we should be looking at for what BBC... And it's sitting there, and it is still an absolute slam-dunk brilliant show. I mean, it grew as well and didn't work straight away. It was DIY SOS, because if you oh, look yeah, at yeah. DIY well, SOS... That's working that, in exactly the, the right exactly way. But why it exactly the right narrative? And for BBC One, what you want is you want feel-good television. So I think yeah. it's a brave thing to put Don't Tell the Bride on, and I think it could work, and I think hopefully yeah. they'll, it didn't they'll feel, really... It's not feel-good TV. That's well, it didn't rate very well, and I'm not surprised, because I think the main... Didn't. the main BBC One audience, don't, they don't want to see people being snidey and cheeky about what. But I think what they do want is they're quite happy to the subterfuge. I don't think it's a problem. Yeah. I think it's just take them, take the family on the journey. Take. I think they'll develop it. I think that you know see, they're think, really great program makers. I've got a lot of faith. I think that a they'll few get there. minor tweaks. You know, don't give them three weeks to book a wedding. Give them six weeks, and then you'll still get all the dress, below, yeah. you know, all that. But you'll, you'll get a better uh, venue, or you'll get certain things. You just you're never going to get. I mean. The casting in this is was spot on. I mean, that the groom was a moron and the bride was a kind of, you know, a romantic visionary or whatever. 
But Christ, it was hard to watch. You know what I mean? It was quite hard to watch. But I, I think I love... really struggled with it. But, really but what? Because you it. didn't cry or because you were no, like, because it's on BBC not Three, the show or... is fun, exciting. Yeah. It zips along, it moves along great. And, it felt um, like it could have been it, half an hour shorter. It, it, it just went on and yeah. on and on. And I just, I, I couldn't watch all of it. Yeah. They should be do what they probably should do is do either two weddings. The, the two weddings is, would have made a better. The story bottom line is it needs to feel warm, and actually you'd forgive it anything if what you were doing yeah. was crying. Because what you really need to do is think this is a show about love. This is a show about love, and although it's got a bit of miscommunication, it's more it's more in the world of Romeo. Well, I say Romeo and Juliet. I don't want to dying at the end, but Romeo and Juliet miscommunication rather than there being a, a sort of like a fundamental. Because you couldn't help but think, God, should they be getting married? I mean, really, I are they good together? Yeah. I mean, and and that's never good. I mean, what you want is the romance to be at the heart of it and the family, and actually to think DIY. SOS in narrative terms. That is a show that I look at and I think is one of the finest formats on television. You know, it's certainly nothing to do with me, I can assure you. I wish it was. Because what it does is it plays brilliantly the narrative strings of how we feel about humanity and people and warmth. I think Don't Tell the Bride is an interesting format to put on one. I think it could work. Mm. It just needs some time. Well, and I think whether, whether we'll get the time, we'll get more time on BBC than we went on ITV. It'd have been pulled off air. They by need now. to sort of establish the grammar on BBC One. Is that warm, is that, yeah, warm, warm family? 2.8 million viewers, though. That's which was, why. Which was about 2 million down on slot average. Well, I mean, I, I wouldn't necessarily come back to it next week. That's the thing, because I didn't enjoy watching it. You know, I, I mean, if you don't enjoy it, if you actually sit there in a slightly pained way, you know, you're not going to go, great, I'm tuning into this next week. Whereas Long Lost Family, I'll go, oh, my God. And I sit down because I know I'm going to sort of weep buckets and at the end of it feel good about myself. I mean, what's upsetting as a programme maker with this is that now when we go and pitch a wedding show, a bride show, and we say, oh, you know, I mean, for the last two years we've been told, or a year and a half or whatever it's been, no, 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 no wedding, no bride because we're doing Don't Tell the Bride on BBC One. And that has meant the whole market has gone silent on brides and weddings and family, that world. And actually it's a fabulously rich territory. And if this is our one shot, what would have really upset me, which is why I want BBC One to stay with it, to really build the brand and give it a chance really think about go on a learning journey with it as it did on BBC3 Danny did a brilliant job with that and Harry Lansdowne I mean really well made show but it needs time to really bed into the right market the market is about warmth and engaging and not about being clever 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 not interesting for one okay don't tell the bride continues next Wednesday at 8pm on BBC1 uh, finally, another Access documentary. The Garden Productions has gone behind the scenes of a Huddersfield branch of NatWest for the bank, A Matter of Life and Debt. Uh, the three-part BBC Two documentary started on Tuesday, and here's a moment from the first episode. Uh, at the weekly staff meeting, bank manager Claire passes on what she's learned from watching a talk at Disney. You can all stand up and be a seven dwarf. One of the seven dwarves. Oh, God. Sarah? Don't be grumpy. Always display appropriate body language at all times. Don't be dopey. <laughs> Each and every guest. I don't know why you've sat me here on purpose. Do you know what? Mel? Well, don't be bashful. Seek out guest contacts. <laughs> Thank you. You make lovely dwarves, by the way. So we need to be the seven dwarves all the time. I absolutely think if we can turn into the seven dwarves, then that will in turn lead us to success. I just don't know what to say. <laughs> this not have the Snow White magic for I, you? I want to cry, actually, as a programme maker. I really do. And I'll tell you why, because access docs, we all want to do them. We're all chasing access endlessly. And, you know, people say they're in, they're out. Everyone wants them all the time. And, you know, there's a, you know the Bank of England, yes, because there's a real national reason. 
you know, an accountant shop on the high street, a bank on the high street, somewhere where you go and it's generally quite a dull place to be, is a hard engagement. When I hear, oh, women from up north, I think, great, fabulous, what a great, a brave thing to find some great characters who are women and northern. Result, we all want that, that's fabulous. And, and, and I felt really excited about the thought of women, northern women be running this bank. But the problem was they weren't very nice characters and actually I wasn't very engaged in them and actually it's a commercial enterprise where they're making money so my buy-in on them and all this kind of customer services I mean fundamentally I felt there was a d- disingenuous approach from the pro- program because I would criticize them for this it wasn't a well-made program I thought it was a very disappointing access piece which is quite out there to Are say, we I'm wrongly sorry. billing it as access though because it's not really about NatWest is it No but how dare the BBC put the NatWest, NatWest in that, that, pretending we're customer service, we're all about people. No, they're not. I mean, they're a profit-making organisation. It's a it, commercial enterprise. Did it teach us anything at all about A, banking, B, the customers, or C, what life's like in Huddersfield? Or did we... Not no, none. All, nothing. And did we engage, nothing in, did we engage in the characters? Did we care? Did we feel warmth for them? The bank manager woman, I found incredibly turn-off TV. I mean, I love young female northern... Tick, 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 tick for me. There was, no, there was no insight whatsoever. I mean, they had, a, they had a woman on who's a desperate debt casualty who kind of giggles away in her she interview. She was very odd, wasn't she? And she talked a little bit about the debt. She never really got asked any penetrating no questions. She then went in and gave a, did a meeting with the bank where she lied. It was like, why are we even watching this? They had weird semi-set-up scenarios where nothing happened. Yeah, the guy who went in to the, consolidate his debt in one mortgage. You know, oh, God, I can't great. Yeah. Me- what a headline, though, Jeff. Yeah. Put that on the front page of anything, really. Very, I mean, it was a very, very strange, very simplistic documentary, which never taught us anything, never gave us any kind of depth. I never came away thinking, well, those people are really something up against it. I really understand the, the level no, but they, of poverty. What they were trying to do was or, profoundly wrong. They were trying to say, bankers are, are accused of everything, but look at these poor people yeah. in this high street bank. The problem is, you know what did it brilliantly, the Bank of Dave? Good on Channel 4. This is when Channel 4 did a great programme. They had Dave Watts' for Chops, who you know, who said, I'm going to set up a bank up north because I don't yeah. like the way banks are. And, and that let you look at how banks work. That you look at a man who was passionate, who believed yeah. in people, and who was trying to say, I'm doing it different. Instead, we got to look at a sort of like a, you know, a load of middle management, doing middle management, it, not it, even, you know, in the dull Possible context. It could have been a series about estate agents. No, no, estate it could have, more it could have been a series about ins- people selling insurance. That's it didn't sure, make any sense about anything. Did it feel like sort of seven years too late as well? It felt like, well, seven years too late. It was 20 years too late. <laughs> it felt like I was, I noticed it was an open university co commission or whatever. It was, it was something like you would show school kids it, this is what happens when you go into a bank and you want, and you want to work in a bank. You know, all you do is you say, how are you? Are you all right? Have you had a nice day? Would you like some coffee? And you say, chuffing egg every so often. (laughs) Is this, are we being a bit unfair? I I didn't dislike it as much as you guys. Maybe you should go and work in a high street bank. I thought (laughs) that should be your new profession, Jake. I mean, honestly, I think think, think you need to look at the fine axis. You need to see it in context to what's been done about banking before. There's been some fantastic investigations as to bankers and the Bank of England and how it works and how manipulated we are. There's been some amazing heartfelt programmes about debt and how difficult it is financially to get stuff in. There's amazing daytime footage about money advice and about what you can get with that and then there's brilliantly as I said to you Channel 4's <coughs> you know, Bank of Dave giving you an insight into the running of a bank in a very difficult place honestly what did this bring to the picture of banking on television in Britain today? 
Nothing at all. It's neither an access piece or a sort of social exploration. It was a PR. It was, an, it was a paid-for documentary an to it was an rehabilitate. For Nat West. Yeah, rehabilitate well done, Nat, Nat West. West. Everyone hates thrilled. us. Everyone hates us, but we're really nice, really. Great. I'll watch that for an hour. It's interesting. So having done East Coast Trains, which was actually is now a commercial organisation, but was government run when we were we filmed there. You know, we were at pains not to make a bloody advert, and it is hard because you feel like you are making an advert because actually, if people are happy there and doing a good job, it's it's difficult not to make it feel a bit like a, it's there. There's a fine line, isn't there? That was like an advert. Have then, you seen The Met on BBC One? Um, no. No. The Met. The Met. No, not yet. Oh. No. It's meant anyway. to be excellent, though, is it not? It's brilliant, yeah. I've heard it's brilliant. It, but the, it see, treads that I mean, line very carefully this and isn't, very well. But also, it's The Met, though. There's more just, it's a public service organisation. It's not no, some bloody bank. <laughs> Documentaries are supposed to be objective. This wasn't objective. There was no revelation whatsoever. None. There was people who were in debt who laughed it off. There were people that are, 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 are genuinely angry at the bank... So what? It was all. It was it's all a bit like. What, it was like somebody had uh, taken a camera and done. I'm going to do a day in the life of a bank, but I'm going to have no access. That's what it was like. <laughs> okay. I'm guessing you guys are not going to stick with it, but for our listeners, the bank continues uh, next Tuesday at 9 p.m. Uh, that's your lot for this episode. Thanks to my guests Stephen D. Wright and Camilla Lewis. Uh, thanks to you for listening as well, and remember to subscribe on iTunes. It's well worth the effort. I promise. Uh, I've been Jake Cantor and the producer was Matt Hill. Ta-ra for now. You've been listening to Broadcast, talking TV, recorded at Maple Street Studios. 